to Andy's. Anyone see an exit? Exit, exit. Let's get played with. Careful. These toys might be jealous of new arrivals. I want to see! Hey, oh, it's my turn! <laughs> new toys! <laughs> Buzz Lightyear, at your service. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, may I? Ooh. <laughs> well, hello there. I thought I heard new voices. Welcome to Sunnyside, folks. I'm Lotso Hugging Bear, but please call me Lotso. Buzz Lightyear, we come in. <laughs> First thing you gotta know about me, I'm a hugger. Oh, look at you all. You've been through a lot today, haven't you? Oh, it's been horrible. Well, you're safe now. We're all cast offs here. <laughs> wow, it is so great to see you all tonight. I am Emily Beltram. I'm the Minister of Children and Students here at Hope Ankeny. So it is just a thrill to be here tonight with all of these kids who are going to be taking communion for the first time and their wonderful families that are here to support them in that faith milestone. Man, that's exciting. And with so many young people in the room, I'm just guessing that a lot of you are already familiar with the Toy Story franchise, right? Um, Toy Story 3 in particular, if you need to jog your memory a little bit, Andy has grown up and he is packing up his room and getting ready to leave for college. And he intends to take his favorite toys and store them in the attic. But of course, through some mishaps, the, kids, the toys end up getting donated to the daycare instead. And this particular movie was a little dangerous for me, I have to admit, right at this moment, to pull clips from, because I actually have not just one, but my two oldest kids that are going to be flying the coop this summer. And we are right now in this process of packing up their rooms and getting ready to say goodbye. In August, I will just have my youngest at home. Whew. And I tell you the really hard part about that but if I did, this whole service would be over. You'd have to come up here, pat my back, and give me tissues while I ball it out for the next 20 minutes. So we won't do that. But the good news, of course, for me is that I have had Pixar movies to prepare me for this, right? I mean, they talk about, they may use like cars and toys to tell their stories, but they do this incredible job of capturing what it means to be human to care about each other, the beautiful ways that we're connected to each other, even when it hurts. And I feel like, I feel like Holy Week is really about that too. I mean, this part of the Jesus story, it's painful. There are times when we just want to look away. But even in the sorrow, there is so much beauty, maybe even because of the sorrow. It's, it's holy. And so we're here together tonight. We've come to the story of the Last Supper. And Jesus, he's together with 12 of his closest friends. 
They're in Jerusalem. They're about to have Passover dinner, and they've been together through thick and thin. They're even here tonight knowing that being anywhere near Jerusalem could cost them their lives. The high priests and Pharisees, they have put out an APB on Jesus, and anybody who sees him is supposed to report it to them right away. But despite the danger, they've decided to come together to celebrate this meal, and that's significant. It's a holiday meal. You guys know how important holiday meals are, right? You've all probably been struggling through it this week, right? (laughs) Getting ready to make your Easter plans. And it makes a big deal in our relationships who gets invited to Easter dinner, right? And who's going to sit by who? And who has to stay to the kids' table? It matters who we eat with, even when it's not a holiday meal. Kids, tell me this. Does it matter who you sit with at lunch? Yes, it does. (laughs) I don't believe you for a second. And woe to the child who has to go to a different lunch from their friends and find a new situation. That's rough. That's hard. Who we eat with, it matters to us now. And it mattered in Jesus' time too. In fact, who you ate with was a source of identity. And so eating with Jesus... Well, that actually defines the disciples. And the people who Jesus chooses to eat with, well, that is a big part of how people from the outside decide who Jesus is. So that's a big part of the reason why, in those days, eating with people who were considered sinners was such a taboo. But the disciples, when they got together for dinner that night, they received something more than just getting to eat with Jesus. Jesus takes it up a notch. In the Gospel of John, it says in chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from the Father and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. So he didn't just bring his disciples into fellowship by eating together. Washing feet? Washing feet was like the most humble thing you could do in this era. I mean, if you haven't thought about this before, think about it now. They wore sandals, and they walked long ways on dusty roads that they shared with livestock. You know what that means about what was on their feet, right? Yuck. It was a good host that would offer a bowl of water and let their guests wash their own feet. That was fine. If you got a, maybe someone a little bougie who wanted to really show off, they could have a servant or usually the lowest person in the household that would come and wash the guests' feet. But no one, I mean no one, got down and washed someone else's feet 
not even of their closest friends. But that night, as Jesus was washing their feet, he was doing something really unique and special. He was lowering himself, well, even having dinner, he was lowering himself to the level of his disciples. But when he went and washed their feet, in a sense, he was actually elevating them above himself. So when we think about the clearest signs that we serve a humble God, washing feet is right there with being born in a stable. But among Jesus' disciples at night, there was someone who thought he was keeping a secret. And you know what? In Toy Story 3, there's someone who also is pretty deceptive. The toys, the toys realize that Andy didn't actually intend to throw them away, so they get pretty excited about that. And they expect their new friend Lotto to be excited for them too, maybe even to help them out. Doesn't quite go the way they thought it would. Take a look. We gotta go home! Lotso! Hey there. How y'all doing this fine evening? Oh, thank goodness! Have you seen Buzz? It's been a mistake. We have to go. Go? Why, you just got here. In the nick of time, too. We were running low on volunteers for the little ones. They just love new toys now, don't they? Love? We've been chewed, kicked, drooled on. Just look at my pocketbook. Hmm. Well, here's the thing, sweet potato. You ain't leaving Sunnyside. Sweet potato? Who do you think you're talking to? I have over 30 accessories, and I deserve more respect. Ah, that's better. <laughs> hey, no one takes my wife's mouth except me. Give it back, you furry air freshener. Come on, guys. We're going home. Whoa there, missy. You're not going anywhere. Oh, yeah? And who's going to stop us? Buzz! You're back! Hoo-ya! Buzz? Hey! Oh. Wait! Hey! Prisoners disabled, Commander Lotso. Buzz, what are you doing? Silence, minions of Zerg. You're in the custody of the Galactic Alliance. Zerg? Galactic Alliance? Oh, boy. Good work, Lightyear. Now lock them up. Yes, sir. They thought Lotso was their friend, but he betrayed them. He even reset Buzz and is using Buzz against them. Isn't that awful? It's terrible. I mean, it's one thing in life when someone you don't know does you harm, treats you mean. It's another thing when there's someone who you've just never gotten along with. You've never really liked them. They've never really liked you. So when they treat you crappy, I mean, it makes you mad. You feel frustrated. You get angry. But you don't feel betrayed. It's just a whole different level of hurt when someone that we trust, someone that we think is on our side, that we think is looking out for us, does something hurtful or undermines us. That... That takes us by surprise. That, that hurts in a really distinct way. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You felt this. The words that I want to use to describe how I feel when I feel betrayed, well, those aren't church words, right? I can't say them here. Whether, whether it's a friend 
who decides to join up for the, with the mean kid at school. Or maybe it's the business partner who's got their hand in the till. Or maybe it's the life partner that does something that devastates your life together. Man, when those things happen, that's a different kind of hurt. I know for me, when I'm looking for the right word for that, well, probably the best word I can use in church is fury. Fury. I get so upset. And when I think about how much that hurts and how it sparks such a reaction, it's just bizarre to me to think that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was there washing feet and sharing dinner. I mean, in our reading tonight, we heard how Jesus brings it up. He points out that someone among them is going to betray him. And they, of course, are all like, who, me? They're distressed. It can't be me. And it's not all of them in this case. It's just Judas, right? And that's the worst betrayal. But it's not the only betrayal that night. After dinner, Jesus points out another betrayal, that every single one of them is going to desert him. Peter's like, no, no, not me, Lord. And Jesus is like, yes. You too, every one of his friends is about to betray him. And then after that, he goes out to pray. He asks his three best friends, hey, can you stay awake and keep watch for me while I pray? Peter, James, and John, they can't stay awake. He has to keep waking them up. Three times they fall asleep. And you know what? When you and I experience betrayal, we're shocked, right? We're surprised. We start looking back over everything that led to this moment, and we think, what could we do differently? How could we have kept this from happening? But Jesus, he's not surprised. He knew it was coming. He knew that his best friends wouldn't be able to stay awake to help him out. He knew that all his disciples were going to run away in fear. He knew when he washed Judas' feet that Judas was going to sell him out to the people who wanted him dead. He knew all of that. Doesn't it just make your heart ache that he knew it was coming? And yet he didn't spend a moment of that night wasting time punishing them, taking it out on them, or trying to change things. Instead, he spent that time giving them a gift, a gift that we still get to receive even today. He took the items that were on the table for dinner, and he used them as an object lesson that his disciples would be able to look back on someday and see what it was all about what he was up to, why God had to come in person. He took the bread and he said, my body, broken for you. And I definitely think that a big part of what we are to remember when we take the bread at communion is that that very night he was arrested. He ended up being tortured and killed. It is important for us to remember when we take the bread at communion that Jesus' body was broken for us. But I also think that that first part, my body, that's important for us to remember too. 
Jesus Christ had a body, a human body, like our bodies. When we have things that are hard, that we struggle with, everything that we experience because we live in a human body, God in heaven knows how it feels because Jesus came and had a human body too. Isn't that so cool to know? We get to celebrate that every time we take the bread of communion. Jesus had a body, and he gave it up for us. And then the cup. He took the cup, and he told them, this is the blood of a new covenant. The old covenant, it had been between God and Israel, and it was sealed with the blood of a sacrificial animal. This new covenant, this new covenant, this new agreement is sealed with the blood of the Christ himself. And it is not just between God and a certain group of people. It is between God and all humanity. When Jesus had every reason to feel forsaken and betrayed by all of humankind, he was making plans to redeem all of humankind. He was setting up his followers to be able to understand what all of that meant, to share the good news with others, and to pass it on through generation after generation into the future, all the way to here tonight. Now, it's definitely not as important as the redemption of all creation, but I haven't forgotten about Woody and the toys. Have you? No, aren't you wondering? I mean, they were pretty mad about Lotso's betrayal. And Lotso goes ahead and makes things worse. He interferes with their escape so that they all end up at the dump on a conveyor belt headed toward their imminent demise. What's going to happen next? Let's find out. Quick, grab something metal! together. Isn't that surprising that Woody reacts that way? I think it's pretty surprising. Now, I don't know. I don't know what kind of betrayal you've experienced. I don't know who might have hurt you. And I can tell you one thing. I don't believe that being faithful to Jesus means that you have to be a doormat to every person who wants to take advantage of you. I don't think that's the case at all. But I do think there's something we can learn about how to handle betrayal from what Jesus did the night that he was betrayed. And that's this. I don't think that we should let betrayal pull us away from our calling. I mean, I told you, my gut reaction to betrayal is fury. I could spend a lot of energy plotting revenge 
or just ruminating on all the reasons why I'm justified to be so angry. But when I do that, when I do that, it pulls my attention away from focusing on who God is calling me to be. It pulls me away from becoming the person I want to be. It takes my focus away from the full and joyful life that God is calling me into, a life that I very much want to experience. That night, that night Jesus, he could have tried to avoid the hurt. He could have tried to change course, or he could have tried to take revenge. He had the power to do that, but he didn't. Instead, he was steadfast. He taught his disciples communion, the importance of it, to share that together. He sought God's guidance through prayer, and he stuck to the plan to redeem all of us. I think that ties things up with a pretty nice ribbon for Vondi Thursday, don't you? But there is one other thing to this story that I think it's very tempting for us to ignore or overlook, but I just don't think that it's honest to do that, and that is the second half of verse 21. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Yikes. What does that mean? Jesus doesn't waste any time that night dealing with his betrayers. But he does predict that it will not go well for Judas. And I could be starting a whole other sermon by opening this can of worms at this point. But what of the people who betray us if we're not to extract revenge from them? What's to become of them? Theologians have spilled a lot of ink on this. But I just wonder, is what Jesus said there, is that a prediction or a curse? Did things go poorly for Judas because God punished him for what he did? Or did Judas fall apart because he couldn't handle living with what he did? Did Judas end up turning his back on God forever? I don't have a good answer for that. But I'll give you this. This is what helps me sleep at night. I believe that God created a causal universe. And then God gave his people the cheat codes for how it's supposed to work. And one thing that I have observed over and over again in life is that the people who want to break the codes, the people who deal out hurt and harm over and over again, they just don't seem to get to enjoy the full and satisfying life that God would have for them. It just doesn't work that way. It wasn't made to work that way. God designed the world to work best when we work together. And I think that it's pretty safe to resist the urge to push our offenders toward their demise. I just think that you can let God handle it. And like I said, I think it would be dishonest not to pay attention to that part of the story. But I also think it's really important to note that Jesus wasn't wasting his time with that. Jesus spent his effort pointing us to the hope of new and everlasting love, bought with the sacrifice of his broken body, and sealed with the blood that he shed for us. So 
that may or may not be satisfying to you, but I will tell you this, I can give you the satisfaction that only Pixar can give us. So even after their kindness, Lotso still betrays the toys again. He doesn't save them when he could, even after they give him a boost and get him out of harm's way. The toys, well, they still, it still works out for them, right? Because they made friends with those claw-loving aliens. But we all want to know, right? What happens to Lotso, that betrayer? We'll take a look. You saved our life. And we are eternally grateful. My boy. Daddy. Hey, where's that furball Lotso? Yeah, I'd like to loosen his stitches. Forget it, guys. He's not worth it. Hey! What you got? I had me one of these when I was a kid! Strawberries. Hey, buddy! You might want to keep your mouth shut. I don't know, maybe that's the answer. If somebody betrays you, you should just tell them to eat bugs. That might work. <laughs> Not every story of betrayal and redemption ends in the tidy way that Toy Story 3 does. As we go through life, we, we can't see around corners, and there are going to be people who hurt us in ways that we can't anticipate. We can trust, though, that through every struggle, God has lived a human life, and through all of it, God knows how much it hurts, how much it hurts to be betrayed even. And instead of shutting the whole thing down when that happened, God decided the whole thing was worth saving. Jesus stayed focused on that through the worst of it, and I really think that we can get through hard things if we can stay focused on that too. I mean, that's why we tell the stories of faith. That's why we share them with more and more of our loved ones and our friends and our neighbors and our children. And we teach them to tell the stories because Hurt and betrayal are going to happen. But Jesus, what Jesus did for us also means that hope and grace and healing can happen too. So our children's team, they recently got to share some of those stories of redemption and deliverance with this group of First Communion kids. And um, so I wanted to invite Christy Schmall out to share a little more about that. She is our children's director. Thank you, Emily. Yes, over 90 kids came and heard the story of why Jesus came and broke the bread and shared the wine. And it's a big deal. It's important. Communion is important. Tonight, we talk about um, First Communion as a faith milestone. It's one of the important um, parts along our journey. A faith milestone is when we encounter God along our journey. And People throughout the Bible had faith milestones. Um, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, um, when they experienced God's presence, they would stop, pause, and, and build an altar. And then they would spend the moment praising God for that encounter in their faith life. In the New Testament, um, Paul had a faith milestone. 
He first didn't even believe in Jesus. He would arrest and kill those who did. And then Paul was on the way to Damascus when he had an encounter with Jesus. And his faith journey changed. And that's a faith milestone. And Paul went on to tell all kinds of people about God's love. And he wrote letters to them to tell them um, words of encouragement along their faith. And one of the letters he wrote that Faith is a journey, is like a race. Who here has ever run a race or been to a race before? Let's see those hands. Oh, yeah, there's quite a few of you. At a race, there are mile markers along the way to tell the runner how far they have gone. Um, it gives them encouragement. Um, and some runners are like, let's go, and they run fast, and they can run the whole thing. Some kind of go and then stop and go, ooh, that's me, or I don't go at all. <laughs> I'm usually the one standing on the side cheering on the runners because I think that's impressive. And that's just as important, the cheering on those who are running. Now, again, our faith is like a race, a run. And how is that possible? We have milestone markers along our faith journey. Some of the milestone markers might be baptism. When parents come to baptize or dedicate their child, the parent, the godparent, even us as a church congregation are saying, yes, we are going to raise this child to grow up to know God. And we are going to cheer for them along the way. And then throughout our faith journey, we have other milestones that, that are important to us. Maybe you received your first Bible, and that was a huge deal. Maybe you learned the Lord's Prayer, and you celebrated that. Maybe First Communion was a big deal. It is a big deal. Confirmation's coming up. That's a big milestone marker. Uh, weddings, uh, renewing your baptism. I could keep going on. All those are important milestone markers for our faith. Now, tonight we have some students here who are experiencing one of those faith milestones, and it's First Communion. Like I said, we had over 90 students who said this is important. Now, they are going to come tonight and take communion, and communion means saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I believe Jesus died for me. Yes, I need what Jesus can give me. I need that forgiveness. When we have the first communion class, Jen Riedemann leads it, and she does amazing, and she teaches the kids. When you come, come with your hands like this to say, I need what you can give me, Jesus. It's an amazing thing, and these students have learned that. Now, Again, at a race, it's not just the runners, but it's those who are cheering on. It's all those who support them. You guys are part of this milestone for the kids tonight. We are here to encourage them along this journey. And so I think we should do that. If I have any First Communion students out here, would you please stand up? We are going to take a moment to pray for you. And if you are a family member of one of these students, if you could reach out your hand and just lay it on them while we pray for them. And if you are not uh, a family member but a congregation member, which all of us are, please reach out your hand to the kid standing close to you as we pray for them and cheer for them. Would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, bless the children who receive Holy Communion for the first time. May this day be one of many milestone steps that they take along their faith journey. 
May their hands extend in anticipation for this precious gift you give to them freely. Help them continue to grow in their faith and share this faith with others along the way. Surround them with your love. In your name we pray. Amen. And now it's time to cheer for them. Let's give them a round of applause. <laughs>